welcome back to the podcast, y'all. You are listening to episode 21 of The Unschool Files. It has been months, and I haven't stopped thinking about this space or the conversations we had on deck pre-pandemic or unschooling. We're still doing our thing, but the events of the world have just been heavy, and I didn't want to add noise in a time that I felt we should be focused and listening to some very important voices and applying a critical lens inward. But I am so thrilled to be back and bringing back conversations around unschooling and life without school, especially during a pandemic and as we transition out of it and what that's going to look like going forward. I am so, so, so excited for today's episode. I have Sarah of The Fen Cottage from Michigan. If you know, you know. If you don't, I think by the episode's end, you will, and I think you'll love her. She's raising a self-directed teen named Casper, with one child having already flown the tiny cottage out back. And at any given time on the Fen, you're going to find the warmth of cottage cats, family puzzles, Casper making pasta from scratch, or the way Sarah has adorned every inch of her home and property with nature. She's a self-proclaimed meme farmer with a killer sense of humor, and she's a steady ally and advocate for marginalized people. I'm excited to welcome a very longtime radical unschooler, Sarah, to the podcast, so please join me in welcoming her. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Megan. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. I've wanted to do this um, for so long, and I'm so honored to have you. I've been following along um, the adventures of Fen Cottages on Instagram for I don't even know how long, Um, but some folks listening may not know about you um, and that radical unschooling cottage life. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship to unschooling? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, so I grew up in kind of an unconventional family, actually. Uh, We definitely had one foot in normal and the other in alternative lifestyles. So in that respect, Homeschooling wasn't foreign to me. I was actually homeschooled uh, for a short time when I was about 13. But back then, there was definitely fewer variations than there exists now, you know, so (laughs) unschooling was not on my radar. Mm -hmm. Um, But even at a young age, I knew that public school didn't feel right for me. Um, I had a lot of criticisms about a lot of aspects of it. And then I had my first child just shy of 19, so those criticisms were sharp on my mind. Mm. In the beginning, I was just like, school is something you got to get out of the way, just do it, do your best, you know, but um, don't shirk off the responsibility, kind of, I was still in the mindset that, you know, you, you had to go, but you didn't have to necessarily do it in the way that they wanted you to do it. You just got to tick those boxes, get through it, get to the next phase of life, right? Um, And then as we went along, I kind of realized that you didn't even have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Can you expand a little bit more on when you realized um, that school didn't work? Had Casper entered the family at this point yet or no? So I think I was pregnant with Casper and I was starting to have those, those doubts um, where I was like, no, I think I know what I'm doing with Remy for sure. But adding a second child into it, um, 
that that was throwing me off a little bit. So we actually did send Remy to um, like a half day preschool. And even then we were like, okay, this is just a glorified play date, right? We're, we're not taking this seriously. This doesn't mean that we won't actually homeschool uh, when it comes down to it. And Remy had an experience where they were already reading um, and none of the other kids were, but the teacher was kind of like, hey, why don't you read to the other kids? Uh, and that didn't sit well with us. So we were like, okay, this kind of solidifies our idea to just stay home together. And we just, we wanted to spend as much time together yeah. as possible. So that's kind of what led us to just diving yeah. in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So prior to the pandemic then, um, cause I guess we should maybe speak a little bit prior to when the world went weird, but, um, yes. prior to the pandemic, what was unschooling life like? on on the fen well we gradually kind of since that whole preschool thing we gradually kind of evolved towards radical unschooling where we really followed the kids interest but also i like to say that i'm the facilitator of their interests so it's not child led um it was very much you know i tried to respect what their interests were while introducing as much new and exciting activities as possible. So a lot of strewing. Um, according a lot of strewing. To, yes, a lot of strewing. Strewing was kind of my full-time job for, I don't know, about 10 years. I should probably mention that my oldest is going to be 20 soon. So we've been at this for a little yeah. while and Casper is 14. So yeah, we are kind of entering a whole new world as far as um, living at home together goes. Remy no longer lives at home, for one thing. That's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, big difference. So Cass is an only child for, for the time being. For all intents and purposes, yes, that's how it feels. Cass has, you know, the only child thing going on and during a pandemic that's that's proved interesting for sure. Yeah, I think that's actually a perfect um, segue into how the pandemic has impacted radical unschooling because before we could be out and we were in community with lots of people. <laughs> so how did that affect you? Yeah, our days, were, our days were very organic before the pandemic. Um, we didn't have to have rules, restrictions, and we, not to say that we do now, but we didn't need to impose arbitrary limits because we had so much freedom to just adjust our days accordingly mm -hmm. and kind of use the organic rhythm of a normal day of activities, you know, um, and now that's kind of just thrown out the window, right? We had to reassess that entire approach. Um, so that's definitely new for us because, like I said, we've spent the last, what, 15 years moving towards radical unschooling. Only for it to just kind of burst like a big bubble. It does feel like that bit. in a lot of yeah. ways. <laughs> 
I mean, we we have such a strong foundation that I I don't want to say that like we can't still implement all of the aspects that we've come to kind of embrace about radical unschooling. But if you were say very new to it, you know, you just kind of found the lifestyle a year or two ago, this would be a big um, a big adjustment to how you see unschooling fitting into the world as it mm. is. Can you expand on what you mean by like how unschooling fits into the world the, as it is with us being so compartmentalized? Well, as far as, you know, let me say that one of the criticisms that I'm sure that people are aware of, of homeschooling is that it's not the real world, right? The real world is kids go to school and that's just reality, right? But um, I, I was always of the mind that we were trying to live in the real world. And that's what unschooling was for us. Yeah. We, we were approaching it as if we wanted to be a part of the world, not set apart from it in a classroom, right? But that's kind of been turned on its head as we are um, encouraged to stay home and quarantine. So we've kind of had to assess how we can be part of the real world when the real world has become completely different for everyone, not just right. us, not just schools, but everyone. Right. Almost um, completely inaccessible in many ways. Yes. A lot of the ways that we utilize the real world, I'm using air yes. quotes, um, <laughs> has been shut down, literally. We, we don't go to museums every day. We don't, or not every day, but, you know, let's say once a week or every other day we're we're out doing a new activity. We are at the library. We are at the zoo. We're meeting up with co-ops. You know, these are the things that filled our days. And all of a sudden that abruptly stopped. And for someone who is essentially an only child, that complicated um, how we approached learning. Yeah. So could you speak to what, like when you first noticed um, that something had to shift during isolation. Is there, is there something that you just, that was like an aha that was like, okay, this can't, like, we can't just be here like this, like waiting for it to be over. We have to keep moving through things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a while there, I don't think any of us knew how long we really had to kind of live in, you know, this sense of what else is going to, what's going to drop next, you know? Um, so we kind of approached it as we would anything that felt like we needed to kind of sit back and assess. And we just, we made sure all of our basic needs were met. Um, that's always a very important thing for us. We make sure that everybody's feels safe. Right. You know, like the, the unschooling home is a cocoon. We do want to feel like our home is the safest place on earth for us personally. Right. And that's an important part for anybody, any person, all people in the world should feel that way. Um, but, you know, obviously not everybody has 
access to that. So we wanted to make sure that we provided as much of that as possible. But at a certain point, we did realize that, you know, the uncertainty of what was happening in the world is permeating our bubble. Mm-hmm. It's it's not unknown to Casper. And it was definitely starting to affect, um, you know, the way that they viewed safety. And, and we really had to kind of assess what our rhythm was, you know, our daily rhythm, which I said before was full of activities or expectations. Like we, we knew what we were going to expect day to day and that changed. Right. So we had to come up with new things that um, added to a rhythm. And that meant me introducing things that I probably wouldn't have otherwise considered before because they just weren't necessary. Right. I think we've talked about that before um, privately in other conversations about um, there not really being enough time to just sit around at home and do a lot of anything for a long period of time, unless it was like a very specified kind of honed in activity that they were really, you know, working on. But for the most part, when your life is kind of moving about throughout the world for your, for your unschooling, when you're home and you're kind of just stuck, I mean, I think it can become quite the challenge to figure out where can you establish rhythm and what kinds of things can you do to anchor yourself and you've, you've have all of this time and you didn't have it before, you know, and they, I think kids can fall into all kinds of different states when they don't have much to do. And it's not the same as having like de-schooling from being in school and taking a break from doing things and having nothing to do. This is more of like your world being taken away from you and having nothing to do, you know? Yeah. It's very different from de-schooling because we, we already had like the basis of trust. Um, We had that foundation, like I said, from many, many years of, you know, moving in a certain direction and living a certain way where, you know, the kids trusted me that I knew that when I was like suggesting or strewing any kind of activity or idea or craft or project or anything like that, they, they had that trust that I, I knew that they would probably like it, that they would feel safe doing it, that it would and if it, they didn't feel safe, it was because I was offering them a challenge that I knew that they could, you know, reach for. Um, it, it was within their skills, or I knew that they were ready to develop a new skill. And we just, we had that rapport. But when they could see that I didn't know what was going on in the world, and I didn't know all the answers, and we always talk about how, you know, parents don't have all the answers. and it's more important to understand how to find answers and and how to seek new information. That's part of unschooling and it's part of learning. But but when they could visibly see that I didn't know what was going on, (laughs) you know, that, that throws everybody off. Yeah. So really, we really had to try things that we, we didn't need to try before, like not curriculum, but, um, online 
you know, um, out school classes or whatever, you know, just the different things that are out there that we're tapping into resources um, that are offered. even more tapping into the resources. And there were a lot being offered because of the pandemic. So that was great. Um, we did not want for things to do online, um, but doing things at home a little bit more, kind of having like a, doing things that we normally do anyway, but making it a little bit more rhythmic, having, having more of a routine, um, encouraging a little bit more of leaving the computer, um, not setting arbitrary limits, but again, when the world itself is setting arbitrary limits, I mean, they're not arbitrary, it's setting actual limits, you know, you have to go along with that. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what happened with the pandemic. Right. Reality changed. Right. We no longer had access to an entire section of things. And so now our, our entire, I think, worldview has to shift within that, you know, and shifting Absolutely. towards tapping into the resources that are being offered, which you were, I mean, speaking some truth there, there was so much being offered, free art classes, lives, like daily, so many things were being offered. Awesome. Yeah. And even though um, you weren't inclined to do those things before, I really think you you spoke on something so important that that is in partnership with what you what you just said about um, doing trying things that you wouldn't have tried before. The reason you could offer those things and say, "Hey, we could try these things," is because of that trust that you mentioned, the foundation of trust. And so right. that those guidance and suggestions and shifting our you know attention to other things and whatnot are are on a bedrock of trust already. So they're still trusting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which is very different than trying to constantly shift and move your kids um, from activity to activity or, you know, force different things that you may really, really want them to dive into and you're strewing and they just don't have any desire to even look at it. Um, right. It's it can it can be hard, to, I think, for parents to find when it's appropriate to shift and encourage shifting and when it's not. I think that's a big big difficult thing in the in the unschooling world even pre-pandemic parents really struggle with how to know when to encourage a shift and I think it's great to hear a longtime radical unschooler say it's okay to shift <laughs> yeah it is hard to know especially when you're a little bit new to certain concepts um, de-schooling is something that never ends for the parent mm -hmm. if you're a parent and you're trying to de-school um, your thought process so that you can move towards un radical unschooling. Just know that it's it's never ending. You're constantly coming up against the ways that you think about things and and checking yourself and asking yourself, wait a minute, is this actually how I need to approach it? And even, you know, 15 years in, I'm still doing that. And that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any kind of set of um, 
family rules or guidelines or principles that you guys kind of use as a backbone to kind of check you like your checks and balances for family to make sure you aren't overstepping bounds in your desire to keep raising autonomous children, autonomous beings. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. You know, like I kind of touched on earlier, we, we don't have rules. We've never had, you know, arbitrary restrictions or limitations or anything. Um, we try to have like guiding principles and our number one principle is to not impede learning. So, I mean, it's a very broad kind of principle because I think it encompasses everything. When I start kind of worrying about, you know, oh gosh, am I ruining them or, you know, which hasn't, I I haven't really had that thought in a long time, but I know that that's something that um, people tend to worry about, you know, like all of a sudden one day you wake up and you're like, what am I doing? I'm doing it all wrong. Surely I'm, I'm ruining them. Surely, you know, I didn't bust out a math book for three years. So they're doomed, right? Guilty. Um, I've totally thought it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that we've all been like, oh yeah, obviously I've got science covered. Look at them. They're mixing, you know, mud and worms outside in the backyard. We're good, but math. Oh no. <laughs> you know, clearly I'm, I'm dooming them for life. But I think that essentially if you go back to the principle like, you know, are you impeding learning? Because we really wanted to make sure that what we were doing wasn't getting in the way of learning because you can always learn more. There's no way that you are going to raise a kid that loves learning and is open to, you know, seeking new information and have them not be able to then also find out, you know, higher math, right? They will, they will be able to seek it. So we know that as long as we're not getting in the way of it. Now, if we were to impede it by, you know, forcing a curriculum or forcing them to do math until they hate it, well, now that's a different story. So we really didn't want to get into that kind of territory. And that's the principle that we always fall back on. And it goes for other things too, not just the typical three R's or, or uh, schoolish subjects. It goes for learning about relationships, learning about how, you know, housework works, you know, chores, this and that, like, do you force chores? Is that how children actually learn to take care of their things? You know? Yeah, there's something to be said about um, wanting kids to learn how to take care of things and trying to force them to learn. And then they have a resistance to learning. And then they parents just get mad at them for not wanting to do the thing that they never really wanted to pay, you know, very close attention, you know, to the details of how to get the task done because they didn't really want to do it. Or it wasn't really their idea. They didn't have, they weren't consenting in this arbitrary, you know, cleaning. Right. But it's different to be in a partnership and running a home together as a group and to have agreements in place 
for who can do what and being fluid about those things, I think is really important, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Being able to actually have a discussion, you know, I, I think we can all, almost all of us probably relate to the idea that, you know, you had to do the dishes and that's that and don't argue back and you have no say in it and do it or you're grounded, that kind of, that kind of uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really provide a learning environment. So it immediately goes against the first principle of the household, right? So you got to get creative and yeah, it involves a little bit more than just putting your foot down and saying, because I said so. And that's kind of the whole backbone of unschooling is that it is more work. And a lot of people attribute it to, you know, unparenting. And that's a misnomer. They have nothing to do with it. In fact, they're on opposite sides of the spectrum because yes, (laughs) when you're trying to facilitate learning, you are doing a lot more work to do so. You're trying to be more creative in the way that you present the world. Right. Exactly. Do you have any other um, guiding principles that are that are important to mention? I think that's probably the the one that most applies um, to unschooling in the way that other people can kind of, you know, that isn't a a personal one that only applies to our specific needs. But yeah, like that just across the board applies to so much. Yeah, it really does. It encompasses a lot. And I think it's just like a root question that you can always come back to um, Mm -hmm. and answer, you know, in multiple ways, whenever you are embracing something new, I think it's, I think it's a really great thing to live by. I think the only other um, motto I would almost call it uh, that I come back to a lot is that kids don't know what they don't know. <laughs> I, think I say I, this all the time. Can you yeah. let's talk about this? What do you mean by kids don't know what they don't know? <laughs> I think I really like latched on to this one, um, especially admitting unschooling groups and doing a lot of writing about unschooling. Um, I see a lot of people attributing child-led learning to unschooling, as if that's what unschooling is, full stop. And I'd like to say that I believe that child-led learning is an aspect of unschooling, but it's not the whole thing because kids don't know what they don't know. And that kind of goes two ways, right? They just don't know what they don't know because they haven't lived. And that's not to say that all adults have more wisdom than all children. And, and you know, different ages don't bring different things to the table. But, you know, they don't even know it. Right. They're, they're young. They're so free. They're so innocent They that they they don't even know what they don't know. And they don't know how to ask for things that maybe they don't even realize that they need. So the adult in their lives should really be aiming to facilitate as much as possible. And that's why I think that unschooling is child-led, but it's also parent-facilitated. It has to be both, like, holy. Right. 
I think um, we, we operate from that same headspace and then also just with the, the backbone of partnership being at the core of it so that everything is something we agree upon. It doesn't mean that someone's idea um, isn't entirely embraced. It, it just might mean, well, there's some limitations around that idea or that thing that you want to pursue for us as a family. Let's talk about that. Um, and sometimes we might be able to find a way to work around whatever limitations there are for one of them to do that thing. And then sometimes we couldn't, and it, it really just wouldn't be something that could work for our family. It's too far. It's an hour and a half drive and you want to do it once a week or, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's something to be said about, um, coming back to a shared agreements with your children. Yes. And unschooling, if unschooling is trying to live as much in the real world as possible, uh, that means that there are limitations. The real world presents limitations all the time, organically. I mean, just that's reality, right? And that unfortunately brings us back to the pandemic and how those realities have changed for, for everybody. And yeah. For us specifically, we've just we've implemented new parent facilitated things, but it's still child child led, excuse me, so that Cass does get to choose, you know, daily um, yeah. different activities. I've just presented more um, that we didn't otherwise utilize. Right. Right. And I think maybe some of those things that we are embracing could be things that we would have embraced in, in a different form out in, in the world. Absolutely. It's just, it's just in a, it's now in a, in a class form or a, or whatever right. the, the case may be. Yeah. Um, it did, us it, too, I mean, we've used that, we've used the opportunity to do the same. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry I was just going to say it. Look, there was a little bit of a learning curve, you know, Absolutely. Uh, it's new to be in the Zoom rooms for us. It's, it's very new. Um, things were, you know, oh, do I have to? Um, a little bit. But again, it, it comes back to the the trust and the foundation that we have with that. And- yeah. And I think it speaks to those natural, you know, things that they learn, you know, through doing and and trying. And they will meet you know, limitations within those spaces and being in partnership and having them there, them having you there, you know, with the trusting relationship, you're able to support them throughout whatever the thing is they're doing online now, or as much or as little as they need. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was, I was really wanting to talk about where unschooling and parenting for social change, um, are connected and talk a little bit about that intersectional parenting um, during this pandemic. (laughs) Um, And if there's anything that you feel around unschooling and parenting for social change that you could help make a connection for folks listening, how those two things uh, really go hand in hand in uh, unschooling. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, well, let me take you back to when my kids were little. Um, when I had like a little five-year-old and a baby. And 
my whole idea of having them home was to spend all the time I possibly could with them, right? Actually spend time with them, be with them, know who they were, um, and not send them off and have somebody else do any of that for me. Because I did have the privilege to do that. I had the privilege to stay home, be home with them 24-7. And I wanted to do that. I was very much wanting to. Um, and I had this idea in my mind that I had these two great little kids and I was going to have us be the change that we wanted to see in the world. And that was my whole, my whole motto back then, basically. Um, and I knew a lot of people who would say, well, you seem like the perfect family to change the school system from within. So how dare you leave it? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you are the type of family that would be most active in the local school system, changing it from within, making those good changes and, you know, being part of the community. And um, at that time, I was very much like, well, that's, you know, not what my obligation is. My obligation lies to my kids directly to them. Like they're always priority number one. Right. So yeah. I kind of, got it in my mind that the way that I was going to help the world was just to raise two of the best people I possibly knew how to raise. And that's what I set out to do. Um, but as I de-schooled the way that I thought about how learning works and what we're, what we're taught in schools, because I knew from the very beginning like I said, I had criticisms when I was in school and I knew from way back then that we weren't being taught the whole story. Something was missing. There are things that were not being taught or were being taught actually wrong on purpose. And right. I always knew that, but it took me several years of de-schooling to actually reach the part where I needed to be decolonizing the way that I look at learning and at the world, you know, and, and how I'm complicit in that because of the privilege that I have. Yeah. Oh, I think a lot of people can relate to the sentiment that um, it was easier to pull their children out of school than to railroad against a system that their children wouldn't benefit from the changes of, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's very, very common for parents to think that. And I, I don't think that they are inherently bad people for thinking that or wanting what's best for their children. I think we all want what's best for our children. And they should be priority number one. Don't absolutely. Get me wrong. They absolutely yeah. should. But the way that we do that is that we integrate the learning about decolonizing and intersectionality into the things that we model to our children and the way that we present information to them. Right. So, so as unschoolers, you know, I'm not sitting down with my kids and I don't have a curriculum like saying, okay, well, this is whitewashed history and everything, but we talk about it constantly. I have a very devoted part of me that does not want to shy away from those conversations 
um, ever since they were a young age, we talked about these things, but I didn't, I, I think it wasn't until more recently that I noticed that I actually had to be a little bit more proactive about the way that I brought the information up. And now with the way things are, it there's no chance of me actually hiding it. And if I were trying right. to, I would have to actively hide that. Right. Right. We're being met with a lot of information and um, it's pretty loud. Yeah. So it would be very difficult or maybe easy for some people, I don't know, but very difficult to, to live in an existence where that information isn't seeping into your bubble, you know? Earlier, there, there are families that have kept that bubble intact, but they have done so purposefully. Um, but that's possibly another conversation. Oh. So it sounds like it sounds like quite a bit of de-schooling has been gone through and you're and you're like you've recycled through and you are on a on a cycle right now, it sounds like, with the world being the way it's been for a year. That is absolutely what's happened for me. Yeah. I think everybody's um revisiting everything that we thought we knew and believed. Um, and I think it's really challenging to stay connected um, in all of this without everyone operating on the same set of information. And you know me, Sarah, I'm not, I'm not one to shy away from hard conversations either. So I'll just come out and say it that, that the world is so divided and the unschooling world is so divided and fractured that it's difficult for us to, you know, find a, even a digital way, I think, um, to commune when everyone is operating from different sets of information. So I think the, the de-schooling that has come up for me um, has really offered the opportunity to reevaluate how relationship, like what I was taught about how relationships should even work and how much energy you put into um, activities or people or things or uh, co-ops or, you know, whatever. Um, and how much of that really are you, are you putting into a space that is not really, it's not that it's not producing, but just isn't for you, you know? I'm not really sure where I'm trying to go with this other than life just looks different now in the pandemic as unschoolers and with everyone thinking different things. It's so tricky, isn't it? I, it is. I love how you brought up relationships because it reminds me of another, you know, broad principle, I guess you could say that we have, which is the relationship comes first, you know, preserving the relationships with my kids um, has a lot to do with meeting them exactly where they are, knowing that when you know someone very well, you know how to meet their needs on a basic level, but also taking it to the next level and really understanding how to preserve that relationship and, and maintain it. Because let's face it, relationships are 
really difficult to maintain. I mean, just in general, especially in the kind of culture that we have, right? So, so part of unschooling, like the reason that we even wanted to unschool was to have those solid relationships. Like I wanted to look back on our lives, you know, 30 years from now and be like, okay, everything has led to this, right? Like we have yeah. solidified this foundation. Um, no matter what kind of life kind of hit at us, we still know that we, we have each other. And I think that's important for all families. So I'm not even going to pretend like that's an unschooling thing specifically. But I think that when you've unschooled the way that you approach relationships, you approach all relationships in a new way. You you approach, you know, friendships online differently, the way that you, you know, spend your energy is done differently. You kind of, you kind of learn, I'll take one of your words that you've used in the past, um, and you know how to use your bandwidth, you know, you really, you, you know how to, you know, when your bandwidth is used up, you know, when it's about to be, and you know, who deserves to be on that bandwidth more than other people, maybe. And there you go. You said it. That's exactly what I was trying to say. And that's okay. (laughs) And a lot of people are saying boundaries, you know, that's the big buzzword now is that everybody's trying to learn how to use boundaries and everything. And I like to say that a boundary just exists. It's, it's not a thing that you have or you don't have. It's a thing that exists and you're either aware of it or you're not. So, you know, if you're aware of your own boundaries, you just kind of like have more awareness. And I think when you are unschooling your kids, you really tap into what their boundaries are. You just, you just know them. You've got, as a family unit, everybody knows everybody's boundaries. It's just, um, it's almost like a sixth sense that you develop and you can kind of apply it to other relationships too. And you know, throw in a pandemic and you're going to (laughs) like, things are going to shake loose that you didn't expect, but you do kind of know like, okay. I'm not even going to go there with this person or, you know, yeah. yes, this is a yeah. topic for me and I'm going to go there. Yeah. I think it's important to mention that. I think it's all worth mentioning. And as I finished talking before you started talking, I was thinking, I'm totally not going to share this in this podcast, but <laughs> I think it's important to be shared, not because we need to talk about how divided we are. I think we're all aware mm-hmm. and not because we need to talk about, Um, any specific person's way of being, but ourselves and what this has taught us about ourselves and our bandwidth and how much of it we have, how much of it we really have to devote to our children. And I think it's given us a time to reflect for those of us that have had the space to reflect on where all the noise was. Yeah. Right. Like so much noise before. It was always there. It was. And, and I think the whole time. 
yeah, when you're trying to be out in the world and raise socially responsible children and correct all of the wrongs and the information that's being shared and passed around and, you know, <laughs> find resources to share with your children that work, you know, for them to, to help explain things. And you're so exhausted and then you're meeting with people and you've got co-ops and you've got groups that are small groups for wilderness and tea time and all your different things. And you just, there's so much noise and all of that. And this has really provided, I think, an opportunity to step back from that a bit and examine where our energy is going on multiple levels, on levels of where we can have the hard conversations, because I don't think we should shy from them with folks who don't think like us. I know so many people who don't think like me that I have very deep conversations with, um, and they're willing to exchange that. And then there are folks who just jump ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's their prerogative, of course. I mean, absolutely. if they don't have the bandwidth, and that's another thing that I think I've I've managed to learn um, at least a little bit before the pandemic, thankfully, um, for various reasons, but especially during the pandemic, I learned to not take it personally when I don't fit in somebody else's bandwidth, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Not necessarily about me as a person. It's about their needs and everybody's really just trying to get their basic needs met right now and I I can respect that yeah absolutely and I think we're all just going about it in different ways and it's been a difficult um very large pill to swallow mm -hmm. that we are not all going to do it the same and that's been on the pandemic front unfortunate in my eyes but um it is, it is how it is. And we're, we're going to have to start operating, um, our way out of this, which I think is the perfect segue into, um, talking about beginning to transition out of, of this, as we see more safe ways to gather, thankful for spring and summer coming more vaccinated people. Um, what are, uh, what are some things have you just, have you considered anything that you plan on, not bringing into your post-pandemic or transition pandemic life from your old unschooling life? Oh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, my husband just asked me a couple hours ago if I had planned on possibly, you know, organizing events again. I used to run an events group for, you know, almost a decade. And it was my whole life for a long time. Part of our unschooling lifestyle was me organizing events for the local group. And, you know, that kind of faded away when we moved to the country. Um, things got few, fewer and farther between. Um, but I had just started thinking, oh, I wish we could pick up the group again and kind of do more events on, on the regular again, and then the pandemic hit. And I was just thinking today, do I want to do that again? Like when everything settles down, actually, I believe the word I used was if, and he said, if, <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, things are looking kind of shaky sometimes, <laughs> you know, if, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about going back to the way anything was before. Um, 
a lot of things weren't serving me and that became abundantly clear in this past year. Um, But also, you know, like I said, Cass is 14. I have one kid that doesn't even live with me anymore. Like we are very much transitioning to our next phase of life anyway. So this was kind of (laughs) maybe a bookend for us, uh, the beginning of something new, um, which is what a great way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. A lot of us are feeling some fears, right. About the future and the lack of like knowing what the future is, but you said something a while back that, that really settled with me. Um, and I, I honestly think about it often that, before the pandemic, we did not know what the future looked like. We didn't know the roles that our children would play as adults in society. We didn't know what jobs they were going to take, what kind of partnerships they'd be in, whether or not they'd be in nuclear families or, or not. Um, we, we didn't know any of that before, and we still don't know that. It's and true, yeah. I think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that, you know, as the admin of a group, it would come up a lot, you know, the very first question a new homeschooler has is, well, what do you guys do about college? And when you are the parent of a five-year-old asking about college, you know, the first thing that I want to remind you is that we don't know what the world's going to look like in 15 years or 13 years, whenever your kid is college age. So, that has always been true. And I guess that's a, a way that I tap into my optimism in the middle of the pandemic is that I know that we've never known what the future will hold for our kids. We, we can plan as, as people who, you know, send their kids to traditional schools do we can do that. We can plan for them to go to college at a certain age. We can plan for them to hopefully join the workforce and, you know, do this or that and have all these ducks in a row for that. Um, But we don't, we don't have to, I think. And that's something that we've opted out of as an unschooling family. Right. So the fact that we don't know what is in store for us after the pandemic kind of settles down a bit or in the next five years or even in the next two years, um, I think that's, that's actually something that we've come to peace with already. Yeah. So that's nice. <laughs> I guess that's a good, I like to, I like to lean into this idea that I feel like society has this way of being symbiotic and that as needs arise in the world, people naturally fill those needs. And I don't think that it is as easy as it sounds like people aren't just like, Oh, I have all of this capital. I'm just going to start this business that fills the need in my community. It's not necessarily that easy, but I do think that we're always leading up to something new. There's always something coming and on the horizon. And as long as you're having conversations with your children all the time about everything that's happening in the world um, and sharing life with them and going through life with them and being honest, they're going to be abreast, I think, to what's happening in the world enough to kind of have an idea as they're moving through their stages of development in their brain. Um, I think they will metabolize those, those facts and that those feelings and the things that, you know, make their, their brain light up. Um, 
and they kind of lodge all that away. And then conversations just naturally occur, I think, about what they want to do and where they want to go. Um, surely, right? Is that how it happened with Remy? <laughs> it's true. I, it it really did happen that way. I always would say to people that if you meet the needs of, let, let's say you have a five-year-old and they have needs, you meet their needs, and then tomorrow you do the same. And then the next day, to the best of your ability, you meet their needs that day. And then one day you have a 19-year-old and you're still meeting their needs. Just every day, you're just doing what yeah. you you best can do to meet the needs of the child that you have in that exact moment. Not some imaginary child that's 15 years in the future. Because if you meet the needs of your five-year-old today, then your 20-year-old will also have their needs not met in the future. There's a future version of that child. Yeah. And it sounds almost a little woo-woo and spiritual, but I mean, it's literal. It's very like literally on the timeline of their life. If you're meeting yeah. your needs, <laughs> it stands to reason that to the best of your ability and things come up in life. But, you know, you're going to take it moment by moment and do what you need Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. And I mean, progress is inevitable. Growth is inevitable. Entering, you know, society is inevitable unless they're like, I'm literally going to live in the woods, which could be cool, too. <laughs> it's fun. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And society okay. is always changing. So, yes. you know, I mean, like you said, hopefully if society needs that and sees that enough people have certain needs and it needs to change something, then what you're planning for will be totally different than what the future is. So. Absolutely. Okay. Fun question. Five favorite family activities. I don't know why I use so many F's. <laughs> I don't even, that literally just came right off the top of my brain. I did not write it down. I don't know why I use that many Fs, but. Ooh, maybe I can spitball and come up with things that start with F. <laughs> we my favorite family love activity. picking, farming. Uh, <laughs> we love that being on the fen. So <laughs> let's see. Okay. Well, as a family, we like to ski, um, except Remy. Remy hasn't skied. I don't think Remy is interested in skiing and that's okay. Um, but that's something we do in the winter. We live in Michigan. So embracing winter sports is kind of a thing here. You just gotta do it. You just gotta. And yeah, so we love, we love to ski. We love to hike and camp and swim, go swimming in the lake and travel, see new places. Yeah. So that's all hard. some of my favorite things. All I love of my all favorites of have been hard to do during a pandemic. Um, but we do our best living out here in the country. We kind of have a lot of those things. You know, yeah. At our, at our doors. Those are all the things that we can try to find, you know, in off hours. It is kind of weird with everyone, you know, kind of being home and trails and stuff are way more full than they ever were in the middle of the week. <laughs> It's true. Transitioning out of the pandemic um, in some kind of way from 
real isolation for us for a solid year um, into the safest way that we can gather with people kind of on a, on a rotation, but we've really had to embrace the fluidity, I think, of um, having to turn around, turn our car around. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this isn't going to work. The trailhead's packed. There's just too many people or, um, you know, Hey, we can't, we can't go um, to this other place and sit by the lake because there's a bunch of people just tailgating out there, you know? Oh my gosh. The, the privileges of homeschooling, I'm sure everyone listening can, can relate <laughs> to this, like going anywhere during the week and just having the place to yourself. I mean, what a blessing that was. <laughs> right. Will we see that again? I'm, I'm sure we will. I, I don't mean to be flippant, but it, yeah. it, it really is one of the top, you know, 10 <laughs> best things about homeschooling. Okay. So before we wrap up, where can people find you? Where do you want them to find you? You mentioned some, some writing you've done in the past. Do you have any place that you want people to find those things? Or would you like everyone to just head over to Instagram? I think Instagram is where I probably post the most content. Um, it's definitely been sparse lately. Just, just doing my memes, you know, trying to get by and trying to do what I can to, to survive over here with the memes. Um, They're great. Yeah, it's far they as, give life. Yeah. As far as writing um, goes, I've, I've always done a lot of writing spontaneously on Instagram. I don't have a blog or anything like that. So you can find me at, at underscore fen underscore cottages. That's F E N C O T T A G E S. Well, I'm so glad that we did this and I'm so glad that we had a chance to catch up. I want everybody to go and find you on Instagram um, because you're funny and you have so much wit and wisdom to share. And there's just good stuff over there. We didn't get to talking about it, but there is your rhythm rainbow that I will find a link to, or I'll get you to send it to me and I'll drop it in the, um, in the info box for, for the episode, because I think when people are maybe listening to this and thinking about how to establish a rhythm, especially for some of those with, that have younger kids, your, your rhythm rainbow, um, from before might be something that they could reference. And I forgot to mention that. It's a great visual. I, you know, with yeah. the younger kids, I found it very helpful. Yeah. So I'll share that with folks because I found that really interesting. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this and giving me your time. I'm so grateful. I am honored to help you shake off the dust of the pandemic and get your podcast up and running again. This is great. Yay. yay. I'm so glad you are the first to be on the stage. So yay. Thank you. Oh, it's an honor. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay, Bye. Thank you, Megan. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and thank you again, Sarah, for joining me in dusting off the old podcast mic and helping me reboot after a very long break. I am so glad to know you and lucky to be in community with you. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to join me. I'm glad to be back and recording again. I hope that you found some kind of encouragement from this episode um, and this energy to shift wherever we need to shift. 
with everything being turned upside down, I've just declared my word for 2021 shift and you are totally welcome to join me in that energy. Make adjustments, dial in, fine tune what works for you and your family. Thanks again for listening, folks. And if you would like to reach out to me and discuss um, how you live life without school or what your relationship to unschooling is, I would love to hear from you. Um, You can send me an email at theunschoolfiles at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at theunschoolfiles, no spaces or dashes. And um, you can send me a direct message there or find the square specifically for this episode and we can chat there and other people can join in. So until next time, stay kind to each other.